Gradebook, the Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. Today is May 12th, and we are at the end of a long and busy week. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek here with Times education editor Tom Tobin. How's it going, Tom? I'm doing great, Jeff. This was a busy week. Uh, boy, uh, you know, every year there's way more education bills filed than, than our past, and no, this year was no exception. Uh, but we also have this uh, issue of uh, the, the the elephant in the room, the gorilla in the room, whatever you want to call it, two big bills uh, uh, waiting uh, the governor's signature or not, uh, the budget bill and uh, the large education bill, which uh, the House uh, Speaker calls, uh, what does he say, the greatest pro-parent, pro-student, pro-teacher education bill ever to come out of the state of Florida. So, and a lot of, uh, you've been aware of a lot of the social media uh, back and forth uh, on, on uh, pro and con on both these bills. Um, what's, it, what's it like out there? This is, this is really an extraordinary week for that. This bill, these bills, I should say both of the bills have gotten so much attention. Um, we've been talking about them for weeks, actually in pieces. And then when it actually came down to that train and then the next train and the next train that finally barely made it through the legislature, as we mentioned earlier this week when we interviewed Senator Simmons and so forth. But now it's in the hands of the governor or it will be in the hands of the governor because it hasn't been sent to him yet. And the media, the social media is just intense. You have people on both sides of the equation now using that at FL Gov Scott, Rick Scott's moniker on Twitter, for instance, and they're urging him to do something. The Florida Charter School Alliance goes, at FL Gov Scott, the parents of the more than 270,000 charter school students in our state support, hashtag yes on 7069, will you? And, and there's a lot of messages like that going around. They're hitting my email box as well. Uh, from the people who are supportive and also, on the other side, the people who are not supportive. The Florida Education Association is among many groups that wants the opposite. And so now they've sent out a message not very long ago on Twitter. Have you taken action yet? Tell the governor to veto HB 7069 and SB 2500, the state budget. And then they just put in their piece of information as to why. And, and it's going back and forth. Everybody wants the governor to do what they think is the right thing. And it's out there. They, they are arguing about all different aspects. I've seen a lot of conversation. And I've received emails, too, and calls. People are, can't even decide whether the budget includes more money per student or less money per student. When we look at the FEFP breakdown, we see, on one hand, total funds per full-time equivalent student up 2449.34%. We also see in that very same budget document on the very same page, base student allocation down $27.07, minus 0.65%. The difference is what money gets put into the actual general operations budget, which is the base student allocation, versus what gets put into the overall budget, which is the total funds. And that overall 
part is what they're talking about. More money is being put into those charter school programs, the teacher bonus programs, and not into general operations. And that's the battle right there in a nutshell. That's right. And it's not only whether things went up or down, it's by how much. I mean, the districts are saying, okay, yeah, the total allocation went up by 0.34%, but they're, they're saying that's that's paltry. That that uh, barely covers growth, if that, and it doesn't co- cover all the other expenses that we have. So they're they're saying it's just it, any way you look at it, whether it's it, even if it is up, it's not enough up. And they were expecting a big bump this year. They were talking about three percent. The Senate was talking about that. The governor was talking about that. But they wanted to use the local property tax rate in order to make that happen. And the House wasn't willing. And and it looks like the House got its way. And now we are waiting to see whether the governor takes out his pound of flesh on the House, where he's been in a battle royale with the House Speaker over different issues that have nothing to do with education. And he may may very well look at that bill and that budget and say, gotcha. Or he may not. Who knows? We're wait, we're waiting. He's he's given some indication that he is closely reviewing and considering his veto options. Yeah, this is this is one of those instances where you you know you're saving the best for last. There's so much intrigue. We didn't have this much action with all the lobbying and and emotion on both sides uh, during the session. Uh, so it's it's kind of concentrated in this uh, in this issue of what the governor will do. You know, for that education bill. Um, you, you have to wonder whether he, there's enough uh, votes in the Senate to to override. You know, if he if he does uh, veto it, you know, that was it was such a close uh, vote, and you need the two thirds to override. Um, on the other hand, it's a risk for Governor Scott because if they they do override, it's 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 not at all good for him politically. We haven't really seen a big veto conversation like this since Senate Bill Six and Governor. Christ at that time when the teachers were out on the streets protesting and he took their side. It came back the next year as Senate Bill 736 and Governor Scott put it into place. So who knows what this will bring and and what the upshot will be in the following year. It it could be really interesting. It really could. In the meantime, we have, you know, we had uh, we had some losers uh, this session, but bills that that uh, were put forth and uh, didn't make it, didn't cross the finish line. Uh, you uh, did a good job this week, Jeff, of uh, talking about the bills that did and didn't make it. Um, the, it's, it we, we did, uh, on this podcast, uh, early in the session, talk about uh, some of these bills. They were, they were interesting proposals, and I was surprised, quite frankly, that a couple of them didn't uh, make it. Which, which ones are you looking at? Well, I thought the uh, third grade retention bill, where they uh, wanted to end uh, mandatory third grade uh, retention based on uh, state reading test results, I saw that as being in with all of the other accountability measures that had to do with testing. And it seemed like a favorable environment for that to get through. I uh, didn't, uh, you, you may know where that got uh, uh, delayed or bottled up, uh, but I didn't see, I was surprised to see that not go farther. That bill never made it out of a workshop in the Senate. They never took it up in any way. Uh, It just didn't seem to jibe with what everybody else wanted to do because they were trying to keep that sort of accountability environment intact, even as they were discussing reducing tests, which wound up being reducing one test. The other bill that I thought would make it farther was the the one having to do with class sizes and how you calculate cal- calculate class sizes. Uh, they wanted to make it a school wide average, which is more lenient than the current 
standard and um i uh, i wondered what was the what was the problem there was it was it legal concerns that they that wouldn't pass muster with the courts uh, you know going against the intent of the voters or was it something else I never really heard any major concerns with that bill. It just didn't rise to the level of the final importance in the in the Senate version of things. The House bill did get passed. The Senate bill didn't get all the way through. Notably, though, in the big bill, 7069, there are some concessions on class size for schools that have high levels of performance over a consistent period of time. They call it the schools of excellence, and if that makes it through the governor's veto or non-veto, that would allow those schools to use a class class size school-wide average so long as they maintain those high standards. Were there other bills, Jeff, that you, you thought uh, would make it farther and didn't and ended up on the cutting room floor, so to speak? Well, I don't know. I try not to predict anymore because I never thought, for instance, that the religious expression bill was going to get through, and it did. It looked like it was being bottled up as the House and Senate were fighting over language. But at the end of the day, it wound up passing and heading to the governor's desk as soon as they send it over. So I don't like to guess, but I can say that there are some bills that keep coming back that you would figure would erode away at the opposition over time, and they still haven't gotten through. The computer coding bill as a substitute for either a science or a foreign language requirement did not pass. The um, limit on restraint and seclusion for violent behavior of special education students, that's been out there for years, and they've talked about wanting to scale back what you can do to those kids, and that didn't pass. Uh, the personal education savings accounts for private schooling, that didn't even never get a house companion bill. So that didn't go anywhere. And that's been something that the people who support all of these other school choice options have been very excitable about over the period of time. So those kinds of things, they, they come up every year and sometimes they get instant approval the following year, and sometimes they just get passed from lawmaker to lawmaker who tries and tries and it never happens. The one that I'm not surprised didn't pass, although other people seem to think it was headed towards passage, was the idea of allowing two members of a school board or other government board that was elected to meet privately to discuss public business. We discussed that one early in the year and we thought that there's no way this could get through, but it made it pretty far before the House actually killed it. And they still had a majority vote, just not enough. What, that kind of surprised me that it got that far. Yeah, it did me too. I was just about to bring that one up. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of people who uh, support the open records and the sunshine who in the state of Florida um, are, are happy about that one. There were a couple of other items that just surprised me. And I thought, until somebody pointed out to me, that the bill requiring a financial literacy uh, course for a high school graduation requirement had actually passed. But at the end of the day, it didn't make it into the final set of bills, and the bill that I thought had moved through didn't. So that bill that they had actually named after a sitting state lawmaker who's been pushing it for three, five years, Dorothy Huckel, who was the chair of the education committee this year, although in absentia because she's been ill and not attending session, that bill didn't make it. And, and I thought for sure this was the year it was going to go. I thought that had a chance too, uh, but it got caught up in this whole question of, uh, you know, uh, how much uh, should Tallahassee dictate to local school districts 
uh, the, the curriculum and also how much room is there in the school day for these extra uh, requirements. That doesn't seem to have stopped them from putting recess 20 minutes in every elementary school, except for the charter schools, of course. Exactly. I was just going to go there. With the, the recess, however, did make it. So um, <laughs> it's interesting to see. We talked about the, the financial literacy bill early on in the session on this podcast and about you know how uh, useful that, that could be to a lot of students uh, who are uh, going to be going out into the world soon. Uh, you know, just basic things like checking accounts and credit card accounts, things like that, that would be useful. So at the end of the day, we have a lot of bills that went up very few that got passed, and the two perhaps biggest ones of all facing a potential veto from the governor. So in all, we have had a great session. Yeah, the, the governor is going to be reminded of, of how many people he's going to affect if he vetoes some of this stuff. I'll just, I'll just take one example, the, uh, the Bright Futures one. That, that uh, is a very generous uh, bump in uh, actually a restoration of what Bright Futures used to be. Uh, a, a bump in the um, uh, allocation uh, for tuition. Uh, you, it's now it would be 100% of tuition and a large part of the fees, plus $300 a semester fall and spring uh, for books and other education uh, expenses. That affects uh, more than 45,000 students across the state of Florida, um, and so the governor is going to get reminded of things like that before he uh, he wields that veto that that veto pen. That's very true. And in fact, the people who crafted this legislation are trying to point out that if you kill the bad stuff, and some people have pointed out that there's way more bad stuff than good from their perspective, you also do kill the good stuff. And so they're trying to highlight the positive things that are in that bill. And so they're talking about, you know, hey, we did eliminate the Algebra 2 exam that nobody wants to take and everybody hates. Hey, we did put recess into that bill that parents have been clamoring for for a long time. And, you know, how are you going to take away that from the parents? But we've heard from these parents and going back to that social media conversation that we've been discussing at the beginning of this podcast. The, even the recess parents and the PTA said, not like this. We support these ideas. We love the idea of recess. It's important, but not like this. That's going to be really interesting because these lawmakers like Anna Terry Flores, who pushed the recess bill, the senator who also pushed the fewer better tests bill, she put out a statement this morning talking about how positive these bills were. And, you know, understandably, she said, many advocates are concerned with the swift pace with which the bill was voted on. We await to see the governor's final decision as he weighs the effects of all the provisions added in this bill. And that basically is where we are. And if he does veto, we're back for a special session in very short order. So, uh, <laughs> Well, not if he wow. vetoes 7069 only. If he vetoes the right. budget, yes, but not the conforming right. bill. So um, that, uh, that could be interesting, and uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Unfortunately, I, I can't, but uh, boy, that, like as I said before, lots of intrigue at the, at the very end of this process. So with the session now mostly behind us and waiting for that one final action, we are at the end of that conversation and at the point in the conversation where we talk about littler things that we noticed during the course of the week on education issues. Tom, do you have anything to mention this week? I do. Uh, this came across my desk. It hasn't been in the newspaper yet or online, but it will be very shortly. Um, there's a new face on the, in the high school education scene here in uh, Pinellas County. His name is Ross 
Blue Bowls. He's the, going to be, uh, starting July 1st, a new principal at St. Petersburg Catholic. Uh, what's interesting about him is uh, he has uh, nine kids, he and his wife Nicole, and four of them will be his students at St. Pete Catholic uh, next year. There, I think there are two sets of twins in the family, and it's a nice uh, big family. Um, that uh, Colleen Wright, our education uh, reporter for Pinellas, will be doing a story on uh, on Ross and his uh, and looking forward to uh, his new assignment. And Jeff, how about you? What did you notice this week? Well, I noticed that kids are still stupid, and by that I mean that. We see throughout this year school districts around the state of Florida reminding parents and children that if you make a threat on a public school, regardless of whether it's true or false, regardless of whether you were joking or not, it is a felony. You are going to get in trouble for it. And yet, time and time again, we are seeing kids getting arrested for putting something on Facebook or Twitter or writing a piece of paper and dropping it in the locker room that says, I'm going to shoot you up. And it happened three times this week in Pasco County. Three kids have been arrested for making threats that really nobody believed were going to happen, but they had to take them seriously because ever since the late 90s, Columbine, right? You have had people, you have had people saying, we can't take these things lying down. And so it takes up manpower and it takes up parent freaking out power and everything else that goes along with it. And so once again, we've seen it. The sheriff of Pasco County and the superintendent and his staff in Pasco County, this time is where they were. And they held yet another press conference to say, cut it out. Your words have action, have meaning. They just have, they've put out the word time and again, and yet Somehow, the kids remain stupid. And, you know, it raises the question to me, though. Kids will be kids, and they will say those things. They've been doing it forever. Let's pull the fire alarm so we can get out of class for an hour or whatever. Does it really need to be a felony? Does it really need to be where they can't match the intent and the reality of the situation with the punishment? But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that people are getting scared by these things. I mean, it was the scary clown thing for a while back in the fall, and now it's it's this. And at some point, you know, they've got to find a middle ground because kids are getting arrested. And sometimes they're from the same school, and they don't realize that, hey, didn't Bobby get arrested for saying that he was going to shoot up the school? And they just say, hey, I'm going to shoot up the school. So that's what I noticed. It's a hard one. It's a hard one because, uh, you know, if they, they take it lightly and then something happens, it's uh, it's it's curtains. You know, it's uh, it's for that administrator who doesn't pay attention uh, to something even that small. So it's a uh, it's a hard one. Uh, every year there's a new crop of adolescents coming through the system and they have to be reeducated on this stuff. And um, it just it's it's very cyclical, as it, as is everything in a school system. And we hope that you, our listeners, can shed some light on this subject. I'm sure that you have something to say. Go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and join into this conversation or any other that's out there. Or give us some ideas of your own that you'd like to talk about, because I'm sure we'll be looking for more and more ideas, especially with the legislature winding down now. Also, you can visit our blog for the latest breaking news, tampabay.com slash gradebook. And we look forward to the continued conversations with you. Uh, I'm reporter Jeff Solichek. And I'm editor Tom Tobin. Thanks for listening. 